As a Christian, I want to attend a healthy church. When I think about a healthy church, one of the things that I find helpful anyway is to try and reverse engineer and say, well, if I wanted to ruin a healthy church, what would I do? Well, one of the very first things I would do would be to institute bad teaching across the board. And so if I want to have a healthy church, that cues me in or at least gives me the indication that good teaching, healthy teaching is a really important thing. And so that's our topic of conversation today on this episode of One Accord. And as always, I've got my friends with me. Why don't we go ahead and bring in Pastor Eric Love. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing good. And I uh, love teaching. I've taught for a number of years now and looking forward to this subject that's dear to my heart. Yeah. How long have you been a pastor? I think you've said it before, but I forget. Uh, I've been the pastor of Raisin Center for 13 years, but I, um, I've, I did some teaching before that. So it's been uh, probably 17, 18 years. Yeah. So teaching in the church for a long time. And so again, I know that sometimes we have practices that we just fall into, practices that we've inherited. I'm sure you've made some changes along the way. And so I can't wait to get into this with you and just hear the perspective of another pastor of a local church. So thanks for uh, being uh, with us again on another episode. And let's go ahead and bring in uh, someone who's not a full-time pastor, uh, but someone who does take teaching very seriously. He's uh, authored a book recently, Thoughts for Young Ladies. Uh, Brother Greg Churchley, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Uh, yeah, I'm doing great, Joe. How are you? I'm good. It sounds so like I'm, you had a little bit yeah, of a frog in your throat. I do. I um I ate something that this morning that uh, isn't agreeing with me, so I've got a bit of a cough. So right on. Excuse I feel me. like uh, you're trying to give yourself an out again in case I you am. got some <laughs> weird thoughts. You got it's the indigestion <laughs> yeah. or something. Ghost peppers I, I for breakfast is not healthy. Yeah. <laughs> it, well, see, that's that's where I aired. So <laughs> yeah. Well, very good. Well, I, again, I know that uh, uh, you are not uh, currently in full time ministry, as you've shared before. Uh, but you are a very serious, active church member. You get opportunity to preach and teach in your local context. And I know you've been teaching uh, in, in church ministry for quite some time. Yeah. Uh, would, how, how often do you get to preach about, uh, well, I guess, I think maybe once a quarter, but is that, is that uh, it's probably It's probably a little bit generous. I think this year I'm scheduled to preach uh, five times. So okay. it'll, it'll look more like that this year. Uh, sure. By this year, I mean 2024. Uh, last year, I think I preached two or three times, um, once outside of my local church, uh, twice, yeah. twice at my local church. So. so you've got at least some of that experience of what yeah. it's like. I mean, being in every week, every Sunday preacher is a, a little bit different. Of course, the responsibilities that come with uh, kind of managing or overseeing uh, the entire teaching ministry, of course. But uh, this isn't just a matter of interest or conversation for pastors. This is a conversation for all Christians because every Christian is affected uh, for better or for worse by the overall teaching ministry of their local body. And so, as I said at the beginning, I know that there are some people that I've encountered who really feel strongly that that church has to take a very particular form, has to be a home church, has to be in a building with stained glass windows, has to be in a, a modern setting or anywhere in between. I don't take that view. I think that you can have healthy big church. I think that you can have healthy small church. Uh, I also think that you can have unhealthy versions of both of those things. And so this conversation, as I see it, or at least as, as uh, I'm going to try and present it and, and get your thoughts, isn't assuming that we have to have a very particular mode. This should be, I think, relevant conversation and discussion, no matter what kind of church that we attend and no matter whether we are the one who is overseeing the, the teaching ministry or sitting under the teaching ministry and hopefully again everywhere in between. And so it's great to have, again, you two guys from slightly different perspectives, but who take these things seriously. And so I'm going to kind of present at least to you a, a little bit of a framework that I've gone through. This is going to be one of uh, eight issues that at least I've thought, you know, through of if I wanted to ruin a local church. Um, and again, I don't want to ruin a local church, but you think through that and say, okay, if I wanted to ruin it, what would I do? 
Now I can fix those things, that, that kind of reverse engineering process. And teaching is a big one. That's been one of the areas that is the, the nearest and dearest to my heart. I spent a lot of my life in Christian ministry um, teaching. I was a discipleship pastor for a while. I've been a senior pastor for a long time, uh, preach most Sundays. You know, if, you, if there's midweek stuff, again, I've, I've taught many, many of those different things. And so I've thought about this, done a lot of things wrong, uh, still am not perfect, haven't arrived. Uh, but I like the idea of frameworks and trying to, to think through, ideally, where should we be headed? And so I like to know kind of what I'm aiming at. And I think that when I started in ministry, I didn't really have much that I was aiming at. I just kind of, I knew that there had to be a sermon every Sunday and I kind of picked something that seemed um, like it was appropriate or I would, uh, you know, pray, Lord, what would you have me talk about? Or I had some things on my mind or things that I noticed. And so I shared with you guys at least the brief version of the framework, which we're going to dig into and, and kind of un unveil all of the, the aspects of this, which I think will take us from the big picture teaching ministry to kind of more smaller group kind of stuff, midweek type stuff all the way down to the very granular, individualized discipleship, and uh, really, in my opinion, covering all aspects of Christian teaching. But I wanted to start us off with something that wasn't on that sheet, two underlying presuppositions that I have, and I just wanted to throw these things out and, and get your guys' uh, thoughts on these before we dig into the, the, the rest of the framework. Because these things, they don't make it onto the page, but they are at least in my mind as I'm thinking through this framework. And so the first one is that I think that our teaching should be very God-centered rather than man-centered. And I've written articles about this. I'll link to them uh, down in the, the description box below if anybody wants to, to read those. Um, they're not the longest articles I've ever written, so they are, they are definitely shorter versions. But the long and short of it is, is that a lot of times, uh, and this kind of gets back to hermeneutics, a lot of times I think that uh, teaching and preaching can really focus on maybe the, the crowd that we're trying to reach. We think of, you know, preaching to the choir. Um, and so we're going, to, we're going to focus on the people. And we're going to try and say, all right, well, would they, would they want to hear this message or would they not want to hear this message or will they find this relevant? And it becomes very man-centered. Um, the, the kind of stereotypical example, I think there's a lot of internet memes made about it. You know, the picture of David Goliath and you're like this, you know, there's an arrow pointing to Goliath and there's a and saying it's him. And then there's a picture pointing to David and it's like, that's not you. And, you know, David and Goliath is, is a story that, that can be preached and taught in a very God-centered way. Um, or it can be about you and what, you know, what, what are your emotional obstacles or your financial obstacles or, or whatever else. And so I come from that presupposition, trying to be God-centered rather than man-centered. And sometimes that means that I'm going to preach on texts that, you know, maybe you look at it and you go, I don't even, I don't even know the immediate relevance of this. But a book like Leviticus, for example, it's hard to make a, 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 a case that this is immediately relevant to a Gentile New Covenant audience if I'm preaching a man-centered message. But if I'm preaching a God-centered message, then God has inspired this for a reason, and that becomes something valuable that I don't want to exclude. Um, in broad, broad strokes, that's God-centered versus man-centered. Uh, what do you guys think about that? I mean, uh, Pastor Eric, I, I'm interested to hear your thoughts maybe first uh, uh, as a pastor. Do you try and be that way, or, or do you ever feel that kind of uh, pressure maybe to, uh, to preach to the choir and hit those, uh, those spiritual uh, talking points you know, that the, the congregation expects or something like that? Well, I think I have probably wrestled with the temptation at, at, uh, at a time in the past uh, to maybe, you know, tell people what I thought they might want to hear. Fortunately, I've been able to resist that. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I, uh, I've actually kind of swung the opposite way um, and, and maybe even too far sometimes. Um, but I, I think, again, like you said, you, when you brought up Leviticus, that's a great point. Um, 
I think so, some people are maybe offended if, if a message doesn't apply directly to their nuanced situation that they're in at the time. Uh, and frankly, preaching just can't always be that way. Now, you're, there, there are times when you're going to preach and you're going to be uh, touching on a subject that does apply directly to somebody, um, does you know fit their situation well. Uh, but I think rather than trying to like, you know, fit every message perfectly into every life situation that people are going through, which is impossible, we just need to go through Scripture and realize everything in Scripture uh, has its purpose. God never, uh, he never inspired anything for for no reason. Uh, there was always a purpose behind it. Books like Leviticus uh, and others that might, on the surface, seem irrelevant, did have a purpose. And so I think it's important to, uh, to just to preach the word. And if someone says, well, that message didn't apply directly uh, to me today, uh, then I would say the world doesn't revolve around you. Um, there are messages that are just going to be, uh, some messages are not going to be as relevant as others, but we need to preach the word and preach it, uh, you know, in, in its entirety, uh, if we can, and, and just focus on that. So I, I think we need to be uh, focused on, like you said, it, it has to be God-centered, and uh, we need to avoid the temptation to try and please man. Can I ask a, just a clarifying question? You said that, because I, I agree with you, uh, I think, 100% of what you said, but um, there's one thing that I would articulate slightly differently, and so I just want to uh, drill down on that a, a second. Um, I definitely agree that the, the world does not revolve around me or you or any other individual, um, but would you say that these things that, that aren't... Um, maybe don't feel as relevant, but they aren't relevant, that they're actually irrelevant? Or would you maybe qualify that? I would probably qualify that saying that they're maybe not immediately relevant, but that there might, sure. there is still like, there is still a reason that God has inspired this. And so your, your present circumstance might not even make it abundantly clear why we need to understand a book like Leviticus currently. But as we keep walking with the Lord over time, it becomes more apparent. Oh, I understand. Now this makes sense why I would need to know this. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, of course. I, when I said not relevant, I just meant that it might not apply directly, immediately to their the situation that they're in. If they're, yeah, you know, I, I may preach a preach a message that's not about, I don't know, it's not about temptation or, or something like that, and mm -hmm. maybe they're struggling with temptation uh, in a certain way. So I guess that's what I meant. Of course, everything in the Bible has meaning, and it is uh, it's it's important in some way because God yeah. saw fit to include it in his word. So everything yeah. has meaning. Everything uh, should be, you know, should be addressed. And that's, that's the way I see it. Yeah. No, I, I figured you would agree with that. I, I, I would have been shocked. I suppose if, uh, if you said, no, I think there are parts of the Bible that are irrelevant, but we should preach them anyway. I didn't, uh, I didn't think that's what you meant, <laughs> but uh, I wouldn't want anybody watching to maybe interpret you that way. So um, sure. What about you, Greg, you, you have any thoughts? Uh, um, you know, you have opportunity to preach and teach sometimes. Um, uh, it's probably not your goal, although maybe it is. I, I doubt that your, your local church leadership would put you in the position of saying, all right, there's some real issue. Let's throw Greg up there to deal with this. And then we'll, we'll take all the softballs, but, um, bunch of cowards. You, yeah. <laughs> but when you come to church, uh, to, to, to submit to the teaching ministry and then also on the, on the, the relatively infrequent compared to Eric and I, but, but certainly much more than many uh, church uh, members, um, do you factor in man-centered versus God-centered thoughts at all? Or is that not something that uh, kind of registers with you? How, how, how do you think about these things? We're well, discussing? I think there's a way we could express this 
that would be wrong. I, I've agreed with everything that both of you guys have said so far. And I guess in my mind, the way I would phrase this is that the Sunday morning preaching is for you. It's about God. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when the Bible reveals something about you, it, it's most often revealing your weakness, your need. And I'll say our, that way I'm not pointing the finger. Sorry, you can talk directly me. about me if you want. That's <laughs> I get, <fine>. Well, <laughs> whew, it's finally the opportunity. Um, you can air, air all the grievances. The, yeah. Well, I've got, a, I've got a list. So That's good. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it's, it, it's the Bible as it reveals us. It's revealing our weakness. It's re revealing our need. It's revealing our dependency. Um, it's not about us. It's about God. It's a revelation of who he is. It's a revelation of, of his holiness. It's a re revelation of, of what he has done on our behalf, his grace, his mercy. Um, and so it absolutely should be for the people. It's not necessarily about the people. Um, but then we could say, well, then does it ever apply? Well, of course it applies. We are talking about your God. So absolutely it's going to apply. Now, it may not, as you've already expressed, it may not be clear how it's directly applicable to your financial crisis that you're going mm -hmm. through. But, um, but I would almost want to argue, listen, if we're talking about God, that applies to your financial crisis that, that you are going. So let's, and now a Sunday morning sermon, um, if, if we're talking about sermons right now, um, a Sunday morning sermon can't, your pastor, brothers and sisters in Christ, your pastor is not an omniscient. So he doesn't know every issue that every individual is going through and couldn't possibly hope to address all of those needs in one Sunday morning, um, which is why, you know, preaching uh, through large sections of text, entire books of the Bible um, is so helpful uh, because eventually uh, he's going to touch on something you need. So sit there faithfully and participate faithfully as a member of the body. Yeah. Now, those are really, really great points and, and very well said. I agree with everything that you said 100%. And um, certainly, I wouldn't want anybody who's listening to this to think that when I say that our, at least for me, an underlying principle should be that we're talking about God-centered teaching and preaching. Um, of course, that does apply to the Sunday morning service. That would apply to all of the teaching ministry in general. And that is going to be applicational. That is going to have application for us as individuals. Just like any other relationship that we have, if you, you know, all of us are married men, we learn information about our spouses. It might, that information is about them, but it does have relevance for us because this is a person that we are in relationship with. And so um, if I learn that my wife's favorite color is lime green, that doesn't necessarily mean that I should, you know, make everything in my life lime green necessarily, but it does understand, okay, now as I walk in life with this person, there are certain things that please her. And now that does have effect on areas of my life that I maybe not, not even immediately relevant, kind of what I was talking about with Eric. So the more yeah. that we learn about God, the more we understand that you're right. This might, this actually might apply to my financial situation more than I initially thought, rather than just, uh, here's a, a six principles about your money from Proverbs kind of series or something like that. Yeah. So very well said. Actually, the second point of what you made transitions very well into the second principle that is an underlying thing. Um, that, you know, pastors are not omniscient. And I'm glad that you said that. I'm glad that you recognize that. I think that sometimes, especially if we are very self-centered and, and I don't, I don't say that to take shots at people, you know, by nature, we are inherently selfish, but when I come to church, um, church isn't about me. And I think this, this gets to a, an Amen. overall understanding of ecclesiology. 
Um, so much of my life can be about me. I can read a self-help book on my own. I can, I can seek out, um, you know, uh, teaching um, on my particular crises of, uh, you know, my financial crisis or my emotional crisis or whatever else. I can, I can seek that stuff out in my own time. But when we gather together, that's something that I can't do on my own. Like by definition, I can't gather together with others alone. That's not a possibility. So the public gathering, you know, if, if I listen to a message and I, you know, I, I haven't always been a pastor. So when I would attend church, if, if the message wasn't immediately about, you know, something that I was going through, I could have the grace to think, well, maybe somebody else is going through whatever this is, and this is for them. And for whatever reason, that was more uh, beneficial. Um, however, from the pastoral side of it, um, it's interesting, you know, the longer I do this, the more I realize that I don't know. And that doesn't mean that I lack faith in the scriptures, but I just, I realize how many details of people's lives aren't shared with me. I realize how many situations can elude my notice. I realize how many, you know, I can get focused in on something and it can make me oblivious to something else. That's just a possibility. And um, one of the experiences that actually really opened my eyes to this was fairly early on in my preaching ministry. Um, I, I, I did a lot more um, kind of topical preaching back then. I didn't preach all the way through um, books. I kind of jumped around. And um, I remember there was an issue that had caught my attention. And so I was, I was preaching and um, I was preaching from the book of James. And I was praying actually on Saturday night about the message. And it occurred to me, I was like, I think that I've actually preached on this before. And so I looked in my, uh, I used a manuscript back then and I, I kind of did like a quick search and I found it. And I had actually preached the exact same passage, um, the exact same text. Uh, I had titled it the same because we, we did bulletins back then. So I'd already put in my, my title, titled it the same. And it was almost exactly a year ago. Like I had, uh, uh, you know, it's, because the way the calendar works, it's not the exact same one, but it was like the same third Sunday in October, basically kind of a thing. And I was like, man, I'm about to preach the exact, like I'm on this, I'm on a one year cycle. Um, if I'm going to rely on preaching and being reactive to what I see, I'm so limited that I'm going to just end up preaching the same things over and over and over again. And there's so much stuff that I'm never going to get to. So the second principle that kind of underlies this discussion is as a pastor, I do think theoretically, ideally, I want to be more proactive than reactive. That means I want to have a system of trying to teach the body that I'm tasked with being an overseer of comprehensively the entire scripture. I, I do eventually want to teach Genesis to Revelation um, in, a, in a way that is reasonable, that, that isn't going to think that somebody has to be with me for 50 years or something to get all that teaching. Um, and so I, I want to have some sort of comprehensive I idea for making sure that we don't miss the book of Nahum all the time, or that I never preach on Habakkuk or something like that. That doesn't mean that I would never be willing to press pause and deal with something, some major issue. So there are instances where, you know, the, the, um, something becomes so obvious that it needs to be addressed. Um, some, you know, and much of the, the New Testament documents are about that. Like there was, there was something that was so obvious that needed to be addressed right now. So I'm not saying we can't ever do that, but I do want my overall teaching ministry to be more proactive rather than reactive. I don't want to spend, you know, 40 years, 50 years preaching and teaching the church, constantly dealing with issues after the fact, rather than trying to lay that broad, broad foundation so that when the wind and waves come, it doesn't knock the house down. In the because an ounce of, of um, prevention is better than a pound of cure, right? Yes. So, yes. Um, you know, if you've, if you've taught them, if you've taught your people uh, to honor God with their finances well, uh, the 
the opportunity or the, the likelihood of needing to get out of that crisis ought to be less as they exercise wisdom and, and yes. responsibility, and good stewardship. Yeah, no, well, well said. And so there's many, you know, many proverbs that do speak of that, of the, uh, the wisdom of taking care of an issue before it becomes a, a five alarm fire kind of. A thing. So Eric, what about you? Do you, uh, do you feel the same about that? Or is that, uh, um, would you say it differently? How, how, how do you think about being proactive rather than reactive in, in preaching and teaching? I think you're right. Actually, I ran into that same problem uh, years ago. <clears throat> I think maybe the first, I don't know, first couple, few years I started preaching. I would do like topical, um, topical messages that, that I thought were important. And I think some of them were, but the problem was, like you said, is if, if we're addressing problems in the church, uh, and, and specific things, then you, you end up doing the same message over and over and over again. So, uh, assuming the problems remain. So I, um, I, I, I realized that that was not the best way to preach. And there was there was a better way, so I started doing expository preaching, where I would take a book, and I would cover the book section by section. When I say sections, I don't mean chapters, but uh, sometimes I did. But by section, I mean like you know, there's there are ideas within a chapter. Um, sometimes individual ideas within a chapter, and I would touch on those ideas. And sometimes it was you know maybe five verses, eight verses at a time that I would I would touch on. And then I would just go through entire books like that. I think we there was uh, a few years ago we we spent I don't know two two and a half years going through First and Second Corinthians, and maybe that was too long. I don't know, but we we covered I covered it verse by verse, um, covered First Corinthians every single verse, and then and then went into Second Corinthians. So it, it took some time, and um, but but that way you know you're covering so much ground and you're covering all different kinds of, of subjects. So, you know, you're, you're, like you said, you're laying the teaching out there uh, in advance. And then, you know, if, if something arises, well, then most likely someone has already heard some teaching on that already and they can, they can go back and, uh, and, you know, remember the teaching that they, that they had learned. So that that's expository preaching is, is what I've done for several years now. You know, another, another problem with the topical format or maybe the reactive format is um, the potential. And I think, I guess that you guys have seen this happen at some point. If you're, ch if you're chasing issues and preaching on issues, um, people know when they're being talked directly to mm. in a sermon. Um, and, you know, unfortunately I've seen it happen where, you know, somebody's, you know, let's say there's a, a marital problem. And the next Sunday, the preacher, you know, gets up and starts hammering, hammering on marital issues. And even if you, and of course, you're not calling these people out by name, but people feel scandalized by that. Yeah. Um, and, and so, man, if you're going to chase problems, you have to be very, very careful with that. And so, um, you know, for, for those listening who aren't pastors and preachers, and you probably outnumber those who are, um, for the most part, I'd say your pastor's trying to be helpful. Uh, they're trying to 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 do a good thing. Uh, they're probably just ill advised in some of that. Yeah. No, I I think it is a that is a a great potential warning to to avoid a pitfall of ever ever weaponizing the pulpit. And you know from the pastoral side of it, 
um, I think sometimes people don't realize that pastors can be wounded just as just as easily as church members. Um, in fact, maybe even more so. It, it's possible. Um, it's it can be lonely and difficult in, in pastoral ministry for sure. And so, um, you know, to to give someone a, a microphone and a pulpit, and then you know they've got some thing that they're they're upset about. Um, you can't justify it, even if you can understand why some might do it. And so it, it needs to be avoided at all costs. The, the, the pulpit is not the place um, for um, beating people up or exposing problems um, in that man-centered way. That, but said, that said, if it happens, um, it, try to exercise some grace towards your pastor. Sure. Um, you know, especially, especially a younger guy. Uh, if we're talking about a 70-year-old, well, he's probably got other, other issues. But He probably uh, should have learned that lesson a long he, time ago. He probably ago. should have. He's yeah. probably yeah. hard-hearted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hard to no, it anyways. The, so you guys have mentioned both uh, expository versus topical preaching, and, and, and I want to drill down on those because not everybody uses that exactly the same. But, you know, I, I think um, this other issue that's, that's right before us, defining the terms of, you know, a healthy church isn't, isn't one that is devoid of problems. And so every church is going to have problems. And there's always going to be a risk if you're going to preach the Bible in all of its entirety. And maybe sometimes people think you're talking about them because you are talking about some issue that they're like, oh, no, have I been found out? or, or um, and and I think that one of the things when you when you do a topical series rather than a book by book, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, theme by theme, you know, and you're not skipping anything, you at least do open yourself up for more accusations of that type because it could be coincidence that you just met with a couple as a pastor and they exposed to you some of their their marital issues and you are keeping that in confidence and you already had on your calendar the marriage series and you're already talking about that and then they think that you're talking about them even though you're not. That's a possibility. Whereas if you are just preaching through a book and you get to a passage, I had this happen. I, we were preaching through the book of Acts and uh, we were talking about, you know, like a church split and some of the issues that were going on. I think we were in Acts chapter six. You know, I think this is, you know, uh, I, I might be getting some of my details mixed up, but I know Acts chapter six, you know, talks about the, the difficulties between the Hellenistic Jews and the Grecian Jews and, and not getting uh, the food. And so I was talking about some of that. And, and afterwards people were like, all right, what's, what's really going on? I was like, what are you talking about? They're like, is there like a split about to happen or something? I was like, uh, no, that's just the text. Like you chapter read, six, look follow at, chapter, chapter look five. Look at what we preached last week. And then <laughs> next week I'll be in chapter seven. And so <laughs> this is the, this is the, this is the proactive nature. Right. But if, if all of a sudden I'm like, all right, we're going to push pause. And now we're teaching on this and there's this division that's going on. And people are like, what's going on? What's really going on? Um, and so, you know, if you're, if you're in the book of Ephesians already and you know, previously you were in one chapter and then you're talking about husbands and wives and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's much less likely that you're going to be accused of using that as a weapon because you're just, you're continuing through the book and you're teaching, you're teaching the passages as they come. Um, so I, I do uh, appreciate that. And, and I think that that's uh, helpful for a lot of reasons because it's just, it's not going to get misinterpreted, but let's take a moment to just explain or define what we even mean by expository preaching and topical because I don't necessarily think that those things are mutually exclusive, but I do think that some people really treat them as, as like opposites. You either do expository sure. preaching or you do topical preaching. So Eric, you kind of first set that off. How, how would you define those terms? Like what is an expository message to you and what is a topical message? Um, just kind of in, in broad terms. Well, it's important uh, what you said, because you, a, a topical message can involve expository preaching. It, there's no reason it, there's no reason it, it can't. Uh, so that's that's important. Um, obviously, you know, uh, a, a topical message, of course, is 
just focused on a, on one particular topic, one particular thing. And usually it's, it's not, uh, I say usually, it, there can be exceptions to this, but usually, you know, topical uh, messages bring in a whole bunch of verses from all over the place uh, to address one topic, which again is not necessarily a bad thing, um, depending on how it's done. But uh, expository preaching, I guess for me, is, uh, you know, I, I take a, a section of scripture and I'll, I'll actually let me back up. So when I preached through uh, the book of Romans years ago, um, I went, I started in chapter one and I worked all the way to the end of the book. And I was carefully following Paul's train of thought. I'm, I'm a firm believer in, you know, there's, there's a train of thought in, in every epistle. And it, Paul's are very easy to pick up because, uh, of course, you know, Paul takes, um, you know, Paul sometimes will, will stop himself. He'll, he'll stop on a certain topic. Go, it seems like he's going on a rabbit trail. Then he'll go, get back on the, on the original topic again. So Paul has a certain style, but what I do is I try and follow Paul's train of thought. I go, I take a section of scripture. I, I and I want to hate, I, I want to make sure that I point this out because this is maybe the most important thing for me. I'd never ask myself, what does this text mean to me? I hmm. ask myself, what did Paul mean when he wrote this? What, what does the Holy Spirit uh, intend for people to get out of this? So um, I, I try and understand what Paul meant. I use certain interpretive methods, and I um, I figure out the the meaning of these of the text. And then week by week, I'm connecting all of these ideas. Connect, and I'm connecting uh, all this so that I can understand Paul's train of thought, so I can explain this stuff to other people. Um, so I just stick with stick with these um, these thoughts, connecting all the dots, so to speak, and then uh, bringing out the the intended meaning. Uh, that uh, that's in the text. So I, I focus I focus on the intended meaning and, and not ask myself, well, gee, what you know, what does this just what does this mean to me? Um, mm -hmm. So maybe that's maybe that's too broad of a of a definition. Um, no, I think that's helpful. Okay. Yeah, I think that's helpful. Um, Greg, what do you, how would you define those things? The difference between expository and topical. Yeah, sure. So what I would say is I would off the bat I would not want to differentiate between topical and in ex, an expository sermon, um, you can have a very expositional uh, topical sermon. And a lot of times we, we fall into the trap of thinking, ah, um, it's, it's an expository sermon. If we're preaching one sermon, you know, one text after another, well, listen, you can, you can not have an, an expositional sermon and still preach in order. Um, yeah. Whereas, and you can have a, a topical sermon that is very expositional. And so, you know, if I were to explain what I meant, to, you know, if I was to explain to my nine-year-old what I meant by expository preaching, I'd say you're taking a block of text and you are opening that up, you are unpacking it, you're explaining what it means, you're explaining why the author would have said it, you're explaining how it applies uh, to the individual reader and how it applied to the to the original audience. Um, you're unpacking the text is probably the most simple way to do that. And now as an occasional preacher, um, you could argue that I'm preaching topically every time I stand up there, but I would argue that hopefully, um, and you, you guys can be the judge, Joe, you have been for many years, be the judge of whether or not I am faithfully expositing uh, the, the text. And so, 
I try to offer you constructive criticism, not, uh, oh, not judgment. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I didn't mean that negative. I mean, sure. it's I, constructive. No, judgment. I, it's yeah, constructive. No, I'm fine being judged. Yeah, go ahead. I'm good. Yeah. No, so I, I, I definitely didn't mean that in any negative way. And so for, yeah. for the people who don't know, um, you know, Joe has served as a, a mentor for me for, as I preached over the last decade, probably. And so, um, you know, I've, I've appreciated every critique he's given me for the most part. Well, for the most part, I give you food for thought. Likewise, you know, I, I, I think it's, uh, it is good and healthy to, uh, to have, um, opportunities, you know, for, for, um, for critique, but keep, keeping back to your, uh, your yeah. definition of expository and topical, I think you, I think you defined it well. And, um, you know, when I first heard these terms and I, I think still at least popularly, uh, and I know we all run in different circles, so maybe this isn't true for you, but most of the time when I hear people use that, a topical sermon is something that's just about, you know, a topic it's in the name you pick money you pick relationships you pick uh, career or, or uh, it's about soteriology and so then you would expect a topical message is going to um, stay on that theme that particular idea it's going to weave together a bunch of different passages from all all around in scripture um, so when done well if it is actually exposing the intended meaning of those texts um, and someone does their homework they're not just studying one passage but they're actually studying all eight or ten or twelve verses that they do um, it's actually should be more work to do a topical sermon than, than a, for sure, like a single paragraph, because you're just, you have to study all those things and all their paragraphs. And it's, it's really opening up your, your um, area of study. Um, when done poorly, um, you know, we can get in, we start maybe with the question that you were asking, Eric, well, what does this mean to me? Or even worse, um, and this happens all the time, uh, pastor thinks, well, what do I want to communicate? And what are the verses then that I can grab um, and rip them out of their context and make them sound like they're saying the thing that I want them to say? And we used an example in our last uh, last episode, you know, about from Second Timothy, um, where if we just keep these verses together, we can never come to the same conclusion that is if we separate them. Because apart, if we just take them out of their context, put them on the PowerPoint, read it without the verse proceeding, it certainly sounds like it's saying one thing. And then if we read it all together, it sounds like it's saying almost the exact opposite which is the power and importance of context. Yep. So that's kind of what, you know, most people talk about topical. Well, it's okay. It's about a theme. We bring in all these verses that can be done well. It can be done poorly. Um, so if we're going to do topical messages, it still should be an expository topical message. Likewise, Greg, you said it. I agree with you hundred percent. Just because we're going verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph, book by book, does not mean that we're actually exposing the text. And I've actually seen some quote unquote expository messages that actually bring in more text than a topical message. You know, you read one verse in this book, say I'm, you know, preaching uh, Ephesians. And so I got Ephesians chapter one, uh, verses one through three, and then I bring in 16 other verses from outside to explain Ephesians chapter one, verses one through three. And you're like, well, how is this different than a topical message? I mean, if I'm just counting up the, if I'm just counting up the amount of verses, you, you know, supposedly needed 13 other verses outside of this to explain what he means right here. Um, sometimes maybe that's justified, but for me, as I think about expository preaching, I, I think I'm, I fall right in line with you guys. I want to not say, what does this mean to me? Or what do I want this to say? Or what do I want to communicate? I want, I'm, when I'm at a text, I want to say, God, what did you inspire this to mean? Then how can I expose, that's in the name as well, expositor, how can I expose this meaning uh, to the people um, that are, are going to be hearing me? So let me, let me share a quick story. Uh, growing up, the, the church that I attended uh, in my youth, um, the pastor would stand up, he'd, he'd read a verse from the New Testament, a verse from the Old Testament, he'd close the Bible, 
He'd then tell a story, and most often a story that came from the book Tuesdays with Maury. I never read the book, but I feel like I've read it a dozen times. Um, I've read that book. It's, have it's, you, it's a good read. Yeah. yeah okay. Well, I wouldn't want to hear it preached I'm, on Sunday morning. Say, but, imagine, yeah. <laughs> imagine hearing every sermon ever from, from Tuesdays with Maury. And so, no, that's, a, that's um, a nightmare to me. Yeah, we, we called it uh, the gospel according to Tuesdays with Maury. That was the mm. joke there. Um, and so, yeah, he, he'd close the Bible, um, put that away, talk about it, and he would exposit Tuesdays with Maury. And maybe once in a while, he would bring it back to those verses that he touched on. Um, in the beginning, and that—that's what I grew up with. Yeah, that's what I. I unfortunately, I unfortunately think that your experience is not all that strange. I remember visiting a, um, and again, not to take shots at places, but I, I remember taking a, a a visit for a baptismal service, and it was the same thing. They read a text from the New Testament, um, and then he uh, talked for twenty minutes about uh, vampires, baseball, and there was a third thing that now eludes me. This was too long ago, but. Um, of course, nothing to do with the text. It was one of the most bizarre scenarios I've ever seen, but the people loved it. I wasn't a regular member of that body. And, and so over time, that body had become accustomed to this, the people that kept coming. And it was a fairly large church. And so apparently they wanted, uh, um, instead of expository preaching, they wanted, you know, some sort of a, a message on vampires, baseball, and, and who knows what else. You know, it's so, so funny. We, we talk about these things, you know, all the other topics that we've talked about, obviously I'm, I'm passionate to one degree or another but I would much rather stand up and argue about this than I would eschatology or head coverings or, sure. or any of the things we covered so far. As far as I'm concerned, this is um, vastly more important. How, you're, how you as a Christian are being fed the word of God, whether that be Sunday morning teaching, whether it be midweek, uh, whether it be discipleship, whatever the case may be, this is, this is of utmost importance. And so- yeah. No, I agree with you. This should be this should be relevant to everybody. But as we talked about even beforehand, there, we know we know very well that there are many people who might view this as a boring topic or something that doesn't really apply. They'd rather get into kind of the individual issues. But um, so let's let's kind of start walking through this framework because I gave you my presuppositions: God centered, not man centered. Although that doesn't mean that it's irrelevant or that it's not applicational. And being proactive rather than reactive. Although that doesn't mean that we can't deal with particularly large issues when they might arise. Um, but over overall, at least in my opinion, a healthy church is going to have a healthy teach minist teaching ministry that is going to be uh, God-centered and proactive rather than man-centered and, and reactive. The first part of that, the framework, the actual framework, is expository preaching. I think that expository preaching is a must. If we want to have healthy teaching, we ought not Amen. be talking about vampires and baseball. We must be talking about what God inspired the text to mean. And so I do believe that that can be done in topical sermons. However, I think, at least for me, the Sunday morning um, approach should be primarily preaching through entire books, because I do think if you just take a topical approach, there are certain passages that will elude ever getting preached, um, because the main topics that you hit on, we're just going to miss verses. And we've, we talked about that in our systematic theology episode. All of the systematic theology um, uh, textbooks that I read if you go to the index, there are always verses missing, always. And so if I even go through and say, I'm going to systematically preach through all of these doctrines, all of the, these things, I'm still going to miss verses if I'm only doing topical preaching. So on the sheet that I gave to you guys, I've included biblical theology, not systematic theology. And I believe that we have put the cart before the horse in many ways. I believe that we are living in an age where um, many people, not everybody, and I'm not, again, I'm not putting people down. I just think it's a reality. 
We have such free access to the Bible, and many people think that they know much about it, but they don't. And there's so much of the Bible that they've never actually read. And if all they've ever listened to is systematic theology, and all they've ever studied is the big books that talk about the systems and talk about the major issues, there are so many other verses that they've, they've missed that they've not talked about. Um, and they've only heard maybe the straw man of the other side. They don't even really fellowship with people of the other side. And so um, our context, I, you know, I'm a part of, of a healthy church. It's not saying that we're perfect. It's not saying that we can't grow in our health, but I, I'm a part of a healthy local church. And one of the things that I think indicates our health is that we have both Calvinists and Arminians and people that would, would take themselves off of that spectrum together, fellowshipping together in one place. That's rare. It's not common. And one of the reasons for that is because I don't do systematic theology from the pulpit on Sundays. Um, I stick to the text at hand. And if I'm in Ephesians chapter one, instead of preaching the first three verses and then bouncing around to 13 other verses that, you know, a Calvinist would pick 13 different verses than an Arminian would pick. Um, I actually just preach the whole chapter of Ephesians one. And I'll just say, well, I think the most relevant verses to this are not 16 verses from other passages, but the next 16 verses in the chapter, I'd rather kind of just go through that and see what, what Paul's train of thought is. Because as you said, uh, Eric, if I want to follow Paul's train of thought, I, I actually ought to, I don't know, follow his train of thought and just <laughs> see what actually he says. Um, that's revolutionary for some people for some reason. And again, other people can do it differently. I'm not saying this is what people have to do, but in my opinion, the framework for me, Sunday morning should primarily be biblical theology, which means I'm going to preach through entire books. And I do have as a goal eventually to preach through all 66 books in the Bible from the Sunday morning pulpit. That's a, a framework for me. Um, I do have uh, in my mind a uh, mechanism to allow for other topics. I could break in and do a topical series if I wanted to in between books. Um, I do think that the midweek stuff is, is uh, often very suitable for doing the more systematic type things or the more topical type things uh, and going at a greater pace. Um, uh, and in fact, our, our, our body is transitioning towards that now that the, uh, the, the midweek service is going to be more of a, um, a faster pace, Genesis to Revelation in probably two years, rather than, um, you know, I don't know, take me a hundred years to go Genesis to Revelation in the, in the pace I currently take. Um, but you guys have thoughts about that, about the importance of maybe getting back to biblical theology, or would you push back and say, no, I think systematic theology is a good thing to be kind of drilling uh, over and over again? Yeah. You know, last episode, I think I talked about how I do my systematic theology, and I think the way I do it, at least the way I'm trying to do it, is through biblical theology. If I want to talk about, if I want to define an idea, which is doing systematics, you know, uh, here's, here's my statement on perseverance of the saints. I do that by reading Genesis to, uh, to Revelation and trying to, yeah, trying to extract an idea from the whole of the text not just trying to find my proof texts that support a particular idea. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I think, uh, well, this is, I guess, what, what Greg was saying, that systematic theology can be biblical theology. They, they don't have to be uh, opposed to each other. Um, but like we said before, I mean, relying on a system is, it's faulty. Um, we, we have to uh, stick with the word, uh, be humble and open to what the word says. And uh, I think, yeah, I, I, and you know, you said, Joe, about, um, you know, going through the Bible in a, in, a, in a fast pace. I think there's definitely a time for that. As a matter of fact, a few years ago, I challenged people to read the Bible in 90 days. And there was probably seven or eight people 
uh, and our, our church is relatively small, but uh, so seven or eight people uh, took up that challenge and they finished the Bible. I was, I was one of them. Uh, so I had to, I was uh, leading by example. Um, but we read the Bible in, in 90 days and there was so much value in that because rather than, rather than dissecting every individual detail along the way, you get the, you get the big picture that way. You, the big picture becomes clearer when you cover scripture like that. So I think there's value in, um, uh, in doing that. And I think, uh, yeah, I guess, uh, I, I guess maybe we would need to perhaps, uh, unpack a little bit more of what, what's the, what would be the difference between biblical theology and systematic theology? Cause I think they should be, I think they should be kind of one of the same thing working together, uh, to, uh, you know, to, to reveal the truth. And I think I would only say that systematics are a fruit of biblical theology. I, I think trying to arrive mm-hmm. at systematics without the root of that being biblical theology, um, and we do need to define that. Uh, but I think it's I think it'll end up being bad fruit eventually. Sure, that's the that's why I said putting the cart before the horse. And yeah. so certainly people use these terms differently. Um, the idea in my mind, and you guys can tell me if you think about it differently. Biblical theology is doing that exegetical task that that Eric you were describing. If I'm studying a, a Paul's book, First Corinthians, then I'm trying to understand the historical context of this book. I'm trying to, and you know, this is not, this is more than theoretical, right? We, we already talked about this because there was a chapter in, in First Corinthians that, that we differ on. And so um, the work of trying to study, okay, what is, their, uh, what is their historical situation? The fact that we know that they wrote a letter that was sent with Chloe's delegation to Paul that we don't have. So we don't know exactly what questions they were asking. So we know that he's responding to something, but we're doing our best to try and, you know, prayerfully, exegetically understand, okay, his response means something to them because they asked a question first and now he's responding. And so we're trying to, you know, work through these issues, follow his train of thought, understand it within that book itself, understanding it maybe within now the the whole Corinthian correspondence. Um, We have at least two letters, you know, of course, that were canon, you know, canon for us, although there's all sorts of scholarly debate over, you know, whether there was a possibly a lost letter or second Corinthians is a composite document. You know, if you're not <laughs> aware of all those issues. That's the stuff that if you really get into the commentaries, these things are there, but you got to wrestle through some of those issues and say, okay, what is, what does this mean? Um, and then once we have that, Greg, if we would do the, the hard work that you were describing, if we do that for every single book, that takes forever. And then it's only after doing that hard work that we do that for all 66 books that we could attempt to begin to systematize and say, what does the Bible actually say about money relationships? Head coverings, which we already talked about, was easy because there's just this one passage, yep. at least <laughs> easier, although it doesn't make us, doesn't mean that we all agree. <laughs> Not simple. <laughs> Not simple. Yeah, but at least uh, uh, an easier path because I don't have a hundred texts that talk about it. I just have one. Whereas if we start at systematics, we, you know, we, we're, we're putting infants in the, the graduate level course and they think that they have all the answers because somebody who's very articulate tells them that, but they don't realize if we put them in the other side's graduate level course, that sound would, that side would sound really good too, because, you know, people, you see it in the content, uh, in the comments as well, or I hear it from just people that I talk to. You know, people latch on to a single verse and they think, oh, ha ha, 1500 years of debate has happened. You, you apparently must not have read this one verse. 
Um, no, people read that verse and people have talked about that verse. Because and systematics, the, the, because the way systematics is normally done is we say, okay, what do we believe about angels? And then yeah. we, we either go into the Bible or you go to your favorite Bible search software and search for the word angels. And, and here's, you know, you, you print that out and you say, here, here's my composite belief or yeah. understanding about it, you know, angelology, um, as opposed to doing what the, the biblical, the, the thorough, uh, march through the, the long march through the text. Yeah. And so yeah. it takes, it takes so much more time. I mentioned that to you guys before. I think that if I wanted to train people in systematic theology, I can do it over one luncheon. I can feed you lunch. I can tell you the points. I can give you the proof text. We can leave all patting ourselves on the back thinking how smart and, and mature we are. If you want to read your Bible in 90 days, like Eric, you did, it takes you 90 days and that's fast. And that requires a big time commitment. That was probably an hour or two of reading every single day for most people, if I'm not mistaken. Does that sound about right? It's about 13 to 15 chapters a day. So it was, mm -hmm. it was not yeah. quite a uh, bit. I, I happen to believe in that pace. I, I don't know if you know this. I wrote a book called Every Word, Read Your Bible in 90 Days. So I'm, I'm really behind that methodology. I don't know if you guys continued um, or if, if anybody continued. Um, but, but keeping up that pace, um, it takes a commitment. And it's, it's much longer than a luncheon. And so most people don't do that work. And then they jump into systematics. And then that's why the fruit of our systematic discussion is not unity, but division, because everybody's fighting with each other. Whereas the more we'll read the Bible, the more we'll realize, hey, wait a second, there actually are some passages here that are really challenging. There are verses here that my systematic never brought up. There are verses here that, that are, they really read differently than I would have expected. And when Michael was with us talking about, you know, the eschatology conversation that we had, he made a statement, I think that's, that's very profound, that I think a lot of people can relate to, that when we'll start, it was the same thing for him when he started, he said about 10 chapters a day. So it was probably um, slightly longer than 90 days for him to read through. Uh, he was getting to passages that seemed to indicate a meaning or an understanding different than what his system required. And so it caused him to throw the system off. If all we ever do is systematic theology, then when I read certain buzzwords, Greg, you mentioned angels or elect, predestination, foreknowledge, certain buzzwords, these big ones, my system already has all the answers for me. And it already tells me the text that I should jump to. And it doesn't explicitly say it, but it, it also tells me the text to avoid. Like there are certain verses I don't go to because these aren't the ones that the systems talk about. And so when I'm looking at a text, then it then, and I, I fell into this trap early on. All right, if I'm going to expose what this means, that means now I got to go and grab you all the, the proof text from the system that I've studied. And I'm, I'm an advocate of and an expert. in. But if I'm doing biblical theology first, I have the freedom to approach every text with a fresh perspective and say, okay, God, what does this text say? And I have a confidence. I'm not afraid that I'm going to read something. And if I rightly understand it, that it's going to contradict anything anywhere else. Like I don't, you guys don't think that the Bible contradicts itself. So instead of me coming to a verse and saying, well, this verse understand understood in its context, if I'm going to do the hard work, actually really study this passage out, I'm not afraid that if I understand that passage, it's going to contradict anything anywhere else. I do realize it might challenge the system I previously held. Like, because uh, and Eric, you said this previously, oftentimes people who come from a system, they come up with these ingenious interpretations that if you're just reading that text, you would never come to that conclusion. But because the system requires it, the system yeah. demands it. Now I can make it sound really articulate. I can make it sound really spiritual, but 
anybody just reading that text would be like, I never, I never would have come to this. And that's why I think it takes the Bible away from people. Whereas if we just stick to the text and say, this is what it means. This is it in its context. This is it in its chapter or its, its theme or its idea. Sometimes that's less than a chapter. Sometimes it's more than a chapter. Um, I think that the Bible really starts to come alive for most people because they go, oh, I'm reading this. And it, it seems to mean what it says. <laughs> like it doesn't, it doesn't require this gymnastics of going through. And it doesn't mean that we're ignoring the rest of the Bible. It doesn't mean that we're not being systematic. But if we're actually allowing the Bible to speak for itself, to expose it, I think sticking to the text and, and really trying not to deviate and bring in 13 other passages every single time I'm in a chapter, to me, I find to be very helpful. I think that that's the most exposing. And then eventually, after a long period of doing that, we can start to systematize. But I, I, again, I don't want to put system, I don't want to throw systematic theology out. I just want to put the cart firmly behind the horse instead of in front of it. Sure. I, I think that I, for me, um, what, what really set me on fire for Bible study was realizing that there were actually, there were interpretive methods that I could use that actually really do help you to narrow down the meaning of a verse and, and understand the verse. So I guess, and this sounds, you know, this sounds overly simplistic, but when I realized, oh my goodness, there, there's, there are, there are things I can do to figure out what this means. It made me want to study so much. And I mean, we've already mentioned this. You guys already know I'm, I don't, I don't need to tell you this, but just things like reading things in context, um, understanding the historical context, sometimes uh, comparing scripture with scripture or reading through a book in its entirety to understand, you know, the entire, the entire train of thought. And that helps you to understand the individual parts. Um, looking up Greek and Hebrew words, if you need to, in a, in a lexicon or something. And, you know, last resort, uh, if you need to look in a commentary, um, and commentaries can be helpful, although I, I would recommend reading multiple commentaries, not just sticking with one, only one idea. Um, all from but, the same side, though, right? That way we all get just uh, just a have, lot yeah. of ammunition from the same side. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so so l- let, me, let me play the other side of this argument here, or not argument, really. Um, but, okay, pastors. That sounds great for you. Uh, wonderful that you spend your hours a day and you're, you know, you're in your commentaries and your Greek lexicons. What about, what about the teenager who's listening to this? What about the, what about the homeschool mom that's sitting here listening to this? Um, what about the person that goes, listen, your IQ's up here and I'm a simple, I'm a simple guy. Um, I, I don't have the skills. I don't have the talents, the abilities. How is this helpful to me? How, what, what you're saying here, how is this helpful? Well, I, I, w- I would actually say that everyone does this with every other book they read. Like, and, and I mean, I'm not talking about looking up Greek and Hebrew words necessarily, but I'm talking about whenever you read a book, okay, you start in chapter one uh, and you read to the end. If you start in the middle, the well, then you're weird. <laughs> <laughs> hey, amen, brother. But, uh, but you know, you, it's it really, so a lot of this stuff is just common sense. You start in the beginning, you read to the end. If you, you don't take sentences in isolation, you read that sentence with the surrounding sentences. Um, you, you know, you don't interpret things in unnatural ways. If it, if it, you know, if it sounds like a duck, if it swims like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. I mean, you know, it's a lot, of, a lot of the stuff is just common sense. And I think People over-spiritualize things 
uh, and well, there's a secret meaning. Well, maybe it just means what it's obviously saying. Uh, so I, I think I think if you apply the same uh, techniques or the same methods to the Bible that you would any book that you're reading, I think even that is going to be really helpful. You don't have to get incredibly super deep. Just use common sense methods that you would use in any other book. And I think this is, I, I think what what I've said before when I'm, I'm talking about this topic with people is, you know, uh, Proverbs is somewhat of a unique book and we can get into like, I know Proverbs does have like a chiastic structure from beginning to end. So there actually is a structure to, to Proverbs. But Proverbs at first glance kind of sounds like, or it kind of seems like it's just sort of random sayings all clumped together. And, and, and there's, I guess, there, there's somewhat of a, you know, maybe a, a tad bit of truth to that. But if you read the whole Bible, like you would the book of Proverbs, you're going to have problems because the book of Proverbs is has a specific style. For, uh, the book of Ephesians, like uh, Joe mentioned earlier, that's different. Um, so it's so Ephesians is not a whole bunch of, you know, ideas all clumped together. It's like not isolated ideas. But it's, um, you know, it's there's there's a a thought, there's a um, you know a, a thought that Paul's unfolding. There's different ideas he's connecting together, and I think if you just if you read it the way that you would read any any book, any letter, if someone wrote you a letter, how would you read that letter? Well, it's you, you read Ephesians the same way, so you don't have to overcomplicate it, but just. I would say you don't underestimate the value of common sense. Do you feel like um, your professional class tends to overcomplicate it? Um, oh, I, I do. Uh, okay. Absolutely. I feel that way. I, I hope I don't overcomplicate, but I do feel that that's, that's almost like the, um, the job security is we try and make it that, you know, it was part of the statement that was made in the, the whole systematic theology thing. I think that in many ways we have tried to take the Bible away from people and we don't necessarily tell them that. But the way that we preach, the way that we teach, the way that we make systematic, like it wasn't originally written to PhD theologians. It was written to regular people. Many of them might not have even been literate. They only heard someone else reading these things. And so I think that we have, we have so complicated some things. That's not to say that everything in theology is easy, but we have so overcomplicated certain things that we have made people think, I can never read this. I can never understand it. I can't, you know, you, you know, all the cross references. I could never do that. But, but who would say, I can't just sit down and read the book of Ephesians? Well, of course you can. If you think that when you read the first three verses of Ephesians, you've got to know the other 16 cross-references, well, people go, I don't know this. But can you just sit down and read the book from beginning to end, like Eric's saying? You can. And that becomes much more simple. And you might not understand it every, you know, every bit of it the whole way through. Of course not. But think if, you know, Eric, you're, you're, you're 100% right. If people took this approach to anything, Let's say your favorite movie, whatever it is. I don't know. Uh, Woody, is there a movie you guys, guys like? You guys like those weird Lord of the Rings movies, right? You we're talking just about talking, that? Yeah, we were talking yeah. about that. All right. I, I don't like those movies. But let's say, Heathen. let's say you guys want me to get involved in the, the Lord of the Rings uh, uh, thing. Probably the ship has sailed on that one. But let's just hypothetically, that's what you want me to do. Would any of you recommend that I put that DVD in my DVD player and I watch like a 30 second clip of it once every three days? And I watched the, the, the entire, you know, series over course of like five years. And I kind of start in the middle of one and then I bounce to the beginning of the first and I go to the end and then I got, you know, back, back then it, it would, it wouldn't make any sense. It would be ridiculous. Yet so, that's how some people approach the Bible. 
There's parts that they never read. There's parts that they read over and over and over again. They, they read this verse in the middle. They read this verse from the beginning. They read this verse from the end. They're all over the place. And then they go, I don't, I don't understand the whole overarching message of the Bible. Well, of course you don't. How could you? <laughs> and so I would say, um, you know, to anybody who wants to say, and then this is probably going to ruffle some feathers. I know I've made some people upset with this, you know, saying stuff like this before. But if you're going to tell me that you're watching this stay at home mom, you're a, a mechanic, you're a, you know, a, what a pilot, you, whatever you do, right? You're not a pastor. Okay, great. Um, why don't you turn off YouTube? You've been watching us for an hour. Go read your Bible for an hour. Go do that. Stop, stop scrolling Facebook. Stop wasting your time on TikTok. Stop watching whatever TV show you're watching. If you add up the amount of time that you spend doing other things, if you just devoted a little bit of that to Bible study every single day and just said, I'm going to read this and I'm going to read it over and over and over again, I'm going to make a dedication to this. Um, does anybody really think that they would understand it worse after five years? It's just like in our, our physical health, we all recognize I'm not going to go to the gym one time, hit that bench press, do some rows and look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's not going to happen. You need some time. You got to put in the work. You got to make your gains slowly over time. And so the Bible, our spiritual strength, our spiritual health, our spiritual understanding is the same kind of a thing bit by bit. And so people just sometimes need to have a realistic understanding. Um, I don't understand these things so great because I have some supreme intellect or because I'm a pastor or because I have a degree. I've read my Bible way more than most people. Just, it's just a fact. Um, and if you would read your Bible as much as me, you'd probably know it better than I do. And I did this before I was in pastoral ministry. I, I read, Eric, you mentioned when you became a Christian, you read your Bible at a ravenous, ravenous pace. Um, isn't that what Peter says? That we should be like newborn babies longing for the spiritual milk of the word? He wasn't so just talking to pastors. And I've had a lot of newborns in my house. When they want milk, they are ravenous. I would love to see that same attitude in Christians saying, give me more Bible. I want it. I need it much more than another reel or another TikTok or another YouTube thing. And again, I'm not trying to, I want people to watch this. I want people to, to, you know, to ingest other Christian stuff and, and people are just going to read their Bible all day, every day. But for anybody who's like, oh, I could never read my Bible for 30 minutes. You don't have 30 minutes in your schedule. You could read your Bible because you're so busy. Then you're certainly not watching this for an hour. So then what I hear us saying, or what I hear you saying, Joe, is that healthy, healthy teaching in the church doesn't necessarily start with a pastor, doesn't start no. with an elder. It starts with every individual sitting in the pews. Yeah. And that's another one of these principles here that that's a good trans transition to is having uh, a body that is active rather than passive. Your spiritual life, anybody who's watching this, your spiritual life is largely your responsibility. It's not my job to spoon feed. It's not Eric's job to spoon feed. And so when you go to church or when you attend the midweek service or when you do discipleship, you will always get more out of it if you are active, if you're praying, if you're seeking, if you're trying to, to, to learn and to understand, then you will be if you just kind of show up and just like, just, you know, spoon feed me something. Um, and the more active you are, uh, the more active you are in Bible reading throughout the week, and praying about things, thinking about these things, talking about theology with others, the more you will glean from any message. You can even hear a terrible sermon from somebody that's just yakking about who knows what, but they read a passage and it makes you think like, oh yeah, I remember the context of that. Um, and you can actually have something edifying. Even, you know, I've, I've preached some clunkers. In spite of. <laughs> yeah. People, people sometimes can be like, you know, Joe, that was the worst message you've ever preached. But uh, I still got something out of it because I've been reading my Bible. 
I bet you those people, Eric, that were reading, reading uh, the Bible in 90 days with you in that same pace at seven or eight people, I bet you that was one of the most fruitful seasons of them attending church. It'd be my guess. Um, I, they I loved it. Them they, they, they absolutely loved it. And every one of them said it was a, like a life changing thing. Life changing. So, yes. That's what yeah. they said. And, I, and Joe, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And I, I think I'm just going to echo what you said. I think that the problem is not that, you know, people come into the church and they're bored with the message. The problem is they're bored before they get there. They don't mm -hmm. have, they don't have a hunger for the word at home. And they, they hope that, well, when I walk in the church and I, and I hear the message, I'm just going to all of a sudden, you know, be super excited to read my Bible every day. And sometimes it does happen that way. But, you know, the, I think what people need to realize is you need to be excited about reading your Bible at home. You need to, you, you need to have a, uh, an excitement, a hunger that you're, you know, developing within yourself by simply reading the word on your own. So that was, that yeah, I want to make a point. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd like to just add, make a point on that. Um, for those listening, your pastor is not the Holy spirit. It's, it's, Amen. it's not your pastor's job to impassion you for the things of God. Now he, he ought to be preaching and teaching and your elders ought to be as well in a passionate way um, with, uh, to steal from Martin Lloyd-Jones with fire. Um, but if, but if you show up there every Sunday or every morning you wake up and you go, oh, I got to select my Bible again, that's not his fault. That's, that's a problem between you and God. And so um, I would, I would call on you to repent, to, to fall on your knees, to, to pray that God would open your eyes to the beauty and majesty and, and grace and gifting that comes through the study of him, the study of his revelation. And, and, and don't place it at the, don't place blame at the feet of your pastor. Should these things not be true of you? Oh, that's very well said. And you know, people, we, we, I hear people say that people don't have an attention span nowadays. I don't think that that's true. People focus their attention on all sorts of stuff. People watch football games for four hours or they watch, you know, plays and, and, and movies for an hour and a half. Um, but it does come down to what you were saying, Greg, that people aren't really that interested. They're, they're bored with the things of God. And so, um, you know, I would say probably it's because you, you don't understand it. But the good news is, is that the more that you understand, it, the more exciting theology is, the more exciting it really is. And if you'll, if you'll stop and like I said, I'm not, I'm not trying to pick on anybody. I, I have a longing and a desire for everybody in the body of Christ to know what God's word says, because I mean, historically, you know how many people have, have suffered and died to even make it possible for us to hold this book in our hands. Amen. I've been to other places where people, you know, they're sharing a Bible in a village. They don't have the word of God. Like what a, what a privilege we have. So let's read it. And, and don't, don't give yourself some unrealistic expectation thinking that you're going to sit down and sit down for 30 minutes and read it and then become a spiritual giant. That's just not how it works. But if you'll sit down for 30 minutes today and do it again tomorrow and the day after that, and you'll make that commitment, then over time, over five years, you'll start to realize, whoa, I really do understand this stuff. And there's a lot more questions that I have. And there's, there's other things that I want to dig into, but I'm getting more out of the sermons and I'm getting more out of the podcasts that I listen to and I'm getting more out of these books that I read. And now I realize some of these books that I read are garbage. They're, they're nonsense. Why was I wasting all my time reading this other junk instead of reading God's word? And we start to build that just like if you show up at the gym every single day for five years, you're going to make it. It's going to be a big difference what you're seeing in the mirror at the end of that five years. Same thing with our spiritual health. I think that's a great analogy. Well, you know, I find it interesting that 
ideas or things that are complicated, other things that are complicated, don't that doesn't stop people from learning about them. You know, if somebody, um, if if somebody, I don't know, has problems with their TV, their TV's not working. They're online. They're doing all kinds of research to figure out how do I get my TV working again, or if their computer goes down, they'll do hours and hours of study to figure out how do I get my computer up and running again. They'll they will spend enormous amounts of time doing research to fix other things, and yet they don't want to give any time to studying in order to improve their spiritual lives. I find that very sad, and uh, it's it's it just shows you where people's priorities are. No, I, uh, I I say amen to that. So, you know, in the interest of kind of, we could, I think, probably talk about this forever, but in the interest of kind of just moving through the framework a little bit, we started with the presuppositions, at least my presuppositions, God-centered rather than man-centered, uh, proactive rather than reactive. We talked about the value and the importance of expository preaching. That doesn't mean that you can't ever hit topics. In my particular uh, view of ministry, I think Sunday morning is best for preaching through entire books, although certainly if you needed to pause and hit certain topics, you could do that. I like the idea of a, a smaller gathering midweek type of thing for um, having a more rapid pace, trying to go through um, even whole books of the Bible in one session. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever done that. I've, I've done that a couple of times from Sunday morning. Like I preached the entire book of Leviticus. I didn't read every verse, but I preached the entire book of Leviticus to kind of give that overview. Um, but in a more teaching setting rather than preaching, um, like I like, I like that setting where you can set the context of the book, hit some key verses, um, expect people to read it. Like, you know, say next week, we're going to, we're going to study the book of Deuteronomy. I expect you to go home this week and read the book of Deuteronomy so that you read every word of it. Then when we come together next week, we're going to talk about it. Not everybody will do that, of course, but the people who will, if they'll be active, they'll get more out of it. Um, so then that active, not passive, that's helpful for, for, I think, uh, for everybody. Most people should know what I'm preaching next week. I, I preached the first half of Matthew 15 last Sunday. If you show up next Sunday, it's a good chance I'm finishing Matthew chapter 15. Um, and you know, when this is published, it'll already, we'll see that that is that prophetic word has come true, <laughs> but I will have preached Lord willing Lord the rest willing. of Matthew chapter 15. Um, so the, the large group setting, the, the midweek, uh, or kind of smaller group setting, sometimes that's in home groups, you know, you might do topical things or study various books of the Bible in those settings. But one aspect that we haven't talked about another thing from the framework that I sent you guys is I don't think that we should just settle for the, the large gathering kind of Sunday morning smaller gathering, Sunday evening, midweek, small group stuff, but even one-on-one -on -one discipleship. Um, I don't know that it's the responsibility of the pastor to meet with every single individual, but I do think that there should be some sort of a mechanism for the leadership and the teaching to really invest in maybe guys like Greg who are you know more active than average, those who would, would actually preach and teach. Um, uh, and you know that is something that I see lacking in a lot of places, that there's not a lot of... Um, there are, there are many, um, many that would not, you know, busy, pa pastor schedules can get very busy, um, that they just say, well, I just don't have the time to meet with somebody. We don't have the elders. They don't have the time to meet with somebody. And so we kind of push people off into seminaries or, or seminars or, or other kind of uh, parachurch training things. But I do think that a healthy church will have some mechanism for really doing really granular one-on-one -on -one Paul to Timothy type of one-on-one -on -one discipleship. Um, and I think, you know, I might go through the Bible with the whole congregation if they stick with me over five decades. I'll go through it in two years in our midweek thing, especially with the new program that we're going to be rolling out pretty soon. Um, but with like an individual, I might do like what you you were describing, Eric, where I've got like one person or or you had a group of seven or eight. We're going to read through the Bible together. We're going to talk about these things. 
Maybe we will talk about the very particular issues, the struggles you've got going on. Just again, very, some might call it counseling, but I'm talking about like intensive discipleship. Um, similar to Greg, you know, you and I, you, you've mentioned this mentoring program. Some of the things that we've done, we've read a lot of books together. We've studied, we've gone through the Bible, you know, to, together at a, a, a more rapid pace, those kinds of things. And so um, do you guys think that this is necessary? Do you think this is something that a healthy church would have kind of a, at least some sort of mechanism for that? Not that every person has to meet one-on-one -on -one with the pastor, but certainly some people are willing. And I know early on in my Christian walk, I wanted to spend some time with the pastor. That wasn't, that wasn't an option. Um, and so I needed to, I needed to go to seminary. I needed to go to seminars. I needed to spend time on the internet forums. I kind of needed to seek that out on my own apart from our local church content. Yeah. This is probably the, the area of my Christian walk that I have been most frustrated the longest period of time. Um, what I see as a failure of the men and men and women, uh, the, the older generations, the, the mature Christians, that doesn't necessarily mean someone who is old, um, a lack, a, a lack of mentorship, a lack of, a lack of discipleship. Um, you know, I, I bet you I could count on two fingers, the, uh, the men who have taken time to, to invest in my development. Um, and very, very appreciative for, for both of those. And, um, it's just not happening. Um, at least in my experience, it's just not happening. Um, and now there's lots of places you can lay the blame. You could say, oh, there, there aren't many men who want that. Okay. And again, I'm speaking of men because it's just my context. So um, you could say no one's hungry for it. Okay. That's, that's a true thing, but, but there's no one doing it. And um, you say, um, I heard you say a, a mechanism and now I know you're not talking about another program, another, you know, th but maybe people hear when you say mechanism, they think, Oh, we need to have, you know, the seven steps to become a mature Christian. I, I know that's not what you're saying. So I want to make sure it's clear that everyone knows that's, I thought that's, that's not what, what you're saying. Yeah, well, <laughs> you, you hear funny, so <laughs> you read funny too. So, uh, um, <laughs> Yeah, you threw me off, darn it. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, so I want to. No, 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 it's not your fault. Um, so I want to make sure that everybody knows that that's clear that we aren't talking about a program. We're talking about mature Christians investing in the lives of less mature Christians to bring them to maturity. Now, does that mean that every man's going to become a pastor? No, it it doesn't mean that. Does it mean heaven that, forbid? Yeah. Heaven forbid. Um, <laughs> does it mean that every young man will become an elder qualified man absolutely you go Hopefully. go re go yeah go read those qualifications for elder found in in Timothy and Titus and tell me you parents tell me which of those you wouldn't want for your sons um <laughs> read what it what it means to be a godly woman and, and parents tell me which of those you wouldn't want for your daughters um and so we we've fallen into some sort of weird trap that we think if you sit here long enough, this is just going to become true of you. That's nonsense. It's not true. It's, you can tell it's not true because it's not happening. Um, and so, man, we, we've been given so much and we're, and in my experience anyways, we're making so little of it and it just drives me to frustration. Amen. Yeah. I have made it a point in my ministry to, to uh, meet one-on-one -on -one with people quite often. Um, and there was a point when I was doing that, I mean, a lot, like, like every week or, or close to every, I mean, 
know, because we have Sunday morning, we have Wednesday night, but I mean, I, and we have a men's, uh, men's discipleship group, but, uh, I, I've, there's many things that I've not done well at in ministry. Um, but I, I, I have been, uh, I've, I've consistently met with people one-on-one over the years and, and I think that is so important. It is so important because there are things that people will will share with you one on one that they're not going to share with a group. Uh, you can you can invest in people. I think in a different way, in a more in a deeper way, doing one on one. Not that you can't invest in people in other contexts, but I think one on one discipleship is so so very important. I think every every Timothy needs a Paul, as as someone said. So. Um, yeah, we, we do meet as a church. We do have uh, smaller groups, but one-on-one uh, discipleship is vital. I think it. I think it's absolutely vital. And this, and I, I actually, I had said this just a, I think just a few days ago. I told our elders, I said, if you, uh, if you consider yourself a mature Christian, you need to be, you need to take be taking younger Christians under your wing. And showing them, teaching them, and showing them by your example how to live the Christian life. Uh, Peter said that we're to be shepherding the flock and and setting an example for them. First Peter five three. So we don't just teach by presenting information, although we do that too. But we we teach by uh, letting people observe the way that we live. And I guess maybe just that um, there was kind of a, an, an idea that I wanted to. Uh, to talk about just just briefly, you know, in the first century, you had the rabbi and you had the disciples, and the disciples would literally follow the rabbi around everywhere he went, and they would observe him, and they would uh, learn, you know, how he treated the poor, um, how he, um, you know, interacted with people, uh, how he engaged his enemies, uh, things like that, and and they would watch him. In, in order to imitate him, uh, discipleship is about imitation, among other things. And so, if we're going to we're going to lead people, we need to lead by example. We have to not only present information, but show them this is how you live. I'm going to show you by the way I live how you need to live, and in order for people to imitate us. Which very quickly, and Eric, if if you can do this as the pastor of the church, if you can do this individually, well, that that's excellent. Um, you know, it, it probably isn't going to be happening in a larger church context. So, you know, it quickly becomes clear this can't be the responsibility of the pastor. But true, you know, it, if you are, you know, you don't need to be an elder either. Um, but elders for sure ought to be doing this. So, what do you think? It's not your job to just sit in meetings, you know, once a month or once a quarter, or whatever, whatever your schedule happens to be. Um, but you're out. You're a shepherd. You know those words equally about you're an overseer. How are you over? Are you overseeing people every Sunday morning? Um, are you shepherding them only Sunday morning? Uh, these souls have been entrusted to you, and you know what a great way for for a mature person who isn't um, currently serving as an elder to help hone those skills of ministry should they be called to that role uh, in by discipling a, a younger believer in the faith. And so, yeah, man, I'm, I'm going to get exercised. So, <laughs> well, I think that this is, uh, you know, Greg, your experience, I don't think is uncommon. I think that this is probably the area that in the framework that I am presenting, 
that I've seen them the biggest lack in the local church. I've seen it in my own life. Um, I've seen it with other pastors that I've talked to. And Eric, I, I commend you for your willingness to do it because um, this is the area that is uh, potentially the messiest, requires the greatest time commitment. Um, you know, the, the joke that, you know, pastors only work for 30 minutes on Sunday, right? Well, of course, people, I think, realize, well, you probably are at least spending a few minutes, you know, preparing your sermon or something. But what a 30 minutes. But if you're going to. Uh, but you know if we're gonna like i think that my one of my biggest responsibilities is not that uh sunday morning or even the midweek but is that individualized thing um i think that that's kind of the area where i can make the biggest impact because the amount of hours that i've spent with some certain individuals um i've seen it make you know, huge changes in their, in their walk with the Lord and in their, their understanding of scripture. And it's messy. Um, you know, and, and Greg, I appreciate that you, you know, you know me pretty well. I'm not a programmatic guy. No, um, I, I think that some, I think that some other people, they might, they might have a program, you know, they, okay, here is my discipleship program. And, um, I'm going to take you through this book and I want to take you through this thing. And, and we're going to talk about evangelism and prayer and service. And, and I think you know, it's a good place to start, you sure. start there. Um, but as you develop a relationship, guess what? It, it probably isn't going to end there. Yeah. And so, you know, you and I, I have a, a, a leadership training program that I developed. That's kind of like seminary light. Um, it's basically two years if you take it at an aggressive pace, um, you know, but that can be chunked off and, and we could do it. You know, we don't need to do um, two classes at a time. We could do one class at a time, which, you know, I can modify it with people. I've got um, a small group of guys that I'm, I'm teaching New Testament Greek to now. You know, it's, there's there's four of us together, and we just you know we meet once a week, and, and that's what we do. And so in, in my life, I've got different plates spinning all the time, and it's messy, and it's it's uh, a lar- largely inconvenient because most of the time you got to meet with people outside of their work schedule. So you know you're keeping you're keeping different kinds of hours, and I, I do have the normal responsibilities. Eric, you know, um, pastors. Have, all jokes aside and what a fabulous 30 minutes it is on Sunday morning. But there's, there are other responsibilities. There are things that we have to do and all the time. So I understand why this one, I, I understand why this one is lacking um, because it, it takes a lot. It takes a lot of extra effort. I'm compelled. And I think part of it, Greg, is because of my experience when I was on kind of your end of it, um, how frustrated I was that people weren't willing to do this for me, that I had to go and kind of seek it out. I, I literally had to pay people. Uh, to to teach me at seminar at seminary instead of having, you know, the pastor that I was in life with, and I'm not. I love those men. I, I still do. I, I'm so thankful for you know the, the 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 way that they ministered to me in the larger group setting and even in the smaller group setting. I just I really really long for that one on one, and so I have a willingness and a commitment that if someone wants to spend that time with me, I want to spend it with them. Yeah. Um, and I I think that a a, a leadership group elders uh, and you know they should have that and. Even if you're not elders, but you're just a more mature Christian, again, we should have that same passion. Um, and I, I know that sometimes Christians look at me and go, well, I have a passion that you don't have. I agree with that. So I'm not saying that my passion is more important than anybody else's. I'm just, we're talking about teaching, in my opinion, um, the majority of, of people who would love that one-on-one shepherding that, that don't receive it is heartbreaking to me. Um, many of the people that I've actually spent time with, it's largely because their pastor at their local church won't. And so I spend a lot of this time, a lot of the meetings I have, um, are actually with people from other local churches, um, because I'm willing to spend the time that, that their pastor isn't. Um, and, uh, again, that's not a shot at anybody. I know that those pastors are probably better at a lot of things that I'm, you know, that I'm not that good at. 
Um, but this is one thing that I've at least seen a lot of fruit from my willingness to do that. And usually other people get to eat it because they don't usually end up sticking around and serving as an elder in our local church or, or, or becoming a pastoral candidate for us, which kind of bums me out a little bit. But uh, because I'm not, you know, so focused on our local church, I'm, I'm fairly broadly kingdom minded. I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. And I'm still willing to make that commitment. My opinion is this. If we'll stick to this framework that I'm talking about, being God-centered, not man-centered, being proactive, not reactive, if we will focus on being expository, doing biblical theology, having some sort of a thought process of, of covering the entire Bible and encouraging people to be active in that, not just passive, not just receiving that from us, that you will start to see more and more individuals who want that one-on-one -on -one type of effort, that you will start to see this almost like a, you know, it, it's kind of compounding. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And, um, and I think that that's a beautiful thing. I think that that's a sign of a healthy church. And the good news is, is that healthy churches, it's not a zero sum game. I don't want, I don't need, you know, the churches you guys attend to be less healthy so that I can be more healthy. Every local church in America, in the world can be healthy. Uh, I think if we would put this framework into practice. So those are broad strokes, my thoughts on what a healthy teaching ministry looks like. I figure if you want to ruin your church or make it unhealthy, at least this would be one good area where well, preach a lot of man-centered messages and be reactive to everything. So you're always behind the eight ball and uh, make sure that you have the most passive group that's just coming in, uh, observing the teaching ministry of the pastor. They don't do any of their own Bible study. They're just waiting for you to spoon feed them. They're hoping to feel, you know, letting you be, like Greg, you said, letting you be the Holy Spirit in their life. And oh man, you've really, what a responsibility you've got to really, you know, cajole them into it. You got to talk about every issue that's deep on their heart. You got to, as you got to, a hundred people sitting in there. Hopefully they all have the same issue on their heart because otherwise I don't know how you're going to deal with that on any particular meeting. Um, and then don't meet with anybody. Be very inaccessible, you know, as a leadership, be very inaccessible to your people um, that if they have other questions, they've got to seek it else, elsewhere. Um, you know, send them to YouTube, send them to Google, send them to seminary, send them anywhere else, but just make sure you don't spend any time, uh, you know, one-on-one -on -one discipleship. That'd be how to ruin or, or make an unhealthy church, in my opinion. Did I miss anything? Or uh, do you guys have anything else that you would add to, to kind of improve this framework or think, you know, this is something we didn't talk about to make a healthy uh, teaching um, culture, well, I guess, in a local church? Yeah, just to ground, make sure that everyone understands we're grounding this in scripture. I'll read what I consider to be the, the source of what we're talking about here. Ephesians chapter four, and I'll just start at verse 11. And he, that is Christ, gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man or woman, as case may be, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking truth and love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Um, now, clearly, there is a instruction here for pastors, teachers, evangelists, elders um, to do some work. but. This clearly is not a passive thing on, on the part of those who are being raised to maturity. Uh, you, don't, you don't become mature passively. Um, and, and so I, I would want to point that out, that what we're talking about here is, is not, a, uh, it's not a 
it's not something we thought up. It's not something that uh, we're trying to impose upon others, but an actual instruction and command found in Scripture. Yeah, no and the doubt. point of these things. Yeah, I, uh, you, you're, you're talking about another passage that's very important to me. You know, Eric already mentioned the reading the Bible in 90 days. I wrote a book about that. Happened to write a book about uh, the same passages you're talking about. Uh, well, I wrote a book Forgotten too. So, I know you did. <laughs> um, but certainly, uh, you know, the the if anybody wants my long-winded, that's what you said about Geyser, so I'll use that same word about myself. Anybody wants my long-winded thoughts about the theology behind so much of what's going on. My first book was a theology of the church, what the church is, what it is and what it isn't. Um, and kind of that uh, offensive rather than defensive nature. I think that uh, the American church has largely been fooled into thinking that we're supposed to be taking a defensive posture. And then uh, my second book uh, about um, the, the leadership structure, um, you know, again, that's all, all theologically based from a, a, a consistent, constant um, reading of the scriptures. Um, and I hope that that's beneficial to people. This framework is much less, you know, you're right. I didn't quote a lot of passages. And so I, I think that you are good and right to go there. Uh, and I <laughs> have proof in writing that I agree that that is a foundational passage for this um, and that that task is, uh, is is worth going on. Eric, you have any other thoughts on this? Uh, um, uh, anything that's been missing? Uh, you just say amen or because, uh, again, I, I, I don't want to give the idea that I'm perfect at this. This is what I'm striving towards. And I want, even as I say this, if anybody from my congregation that I oversee is, is watching this, now they can help keep me accountable and say, these are the things that we should be, if we want a healthy teaching ministry, this is what we should be going for. But anything that we've left out or anything that you would articulate differently, uh, again, as a pastor of a different local church? Um, no, I, I, I would agree with everything you guys said. Um, I, I would maybe just, I had one final thought. I was talking with a guy one time and we were uh, talking about studying the Bible and the importance of that. And he said, well, I, I just have childlike faith. I, I don't really need to know very much. I just, I just stick with my childlike faith. And um, that's a misunderstanding of childlike faith. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20, Paul said, Brethren, do not be children in your thinking. Yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. Uh, we, we're, we're commanded to be mature in the, the way that we think about spiritual things, and of course, in other ways. And there's a, this idea that, well, I, you know, the more ignorant you are, the more holy, uh, because you, that, that means you have childlike faith, and childlike faith is a good thing. There is no such thing ever, ever taught in Scripture. We're not to you be You can't children. believe what you don't know. Exactly. You, you, yeah, can't exactly. Believe, you can't believe what you don't know. Um, if you don't know God, you don't believe in God. You believe in something. I'll, I'll give you that. Um, you, you've constructed something in your mind. Um, but to the degree in which you are ignorant about the person and work of Jesus Christ, um, you don't believe in, in him as he is. Well said. Yeah. Very well said. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I think we need to be. I think we need to be mature in our thinking, and if we're not, we need to be striving for that. Uh, so childlike faith does not mean ignorant faith. And um, yeah, so I, I would, I would really stress that that it's it's vital to to uh, to become mature. Um, you know, if, if I mean, we we all have room to grow. I, I have I have plenty, plenty of room to grow. But we need to be striving for for maturity and growth, and um, and really take these things very very seriously. And the pastor helps with that, but it's ultimately up to the individual to make sure that they're on that path. 
And that doesn't mean we're all going to be theologians, right? I mean, we're not sure. all going to no. be Greek experts. No. We're not That's all going to be Hebrew. We're, we're, not everybody needs to get onto some podcast and argue about eschatology like that. That's that's don't hear us say that um, mature in your faith, mature in your knowledge of God doesn't mean you need to be an expert debater or an apologist. Right. Uh, that, that's not what we're saying. I would add one other thing, but I am full agreement with what you guys are saying that unlike uh, biological maturity, which kind of happens whether we want it to or not, spiritual maturity is different. Um, we can mature very rapidly and we could be, we could be a Christian for 50 years and still be infants if we, um, if we don't take these things seriously. What a sad reality, but yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, guys, that's what I've got. Uh, and you guys have any other thoughts? I mean, Greg, you mentioned your book. You want to tell people how to get it? I know Christmas yeah. is coming up. It's a, a good it gift is. idea. Yeah. Certainly a good thing to give to any uh, young ladies maybe who are getting baptized. Yeah. Yeah. So um, for those who haven't read it, seen it yet, Thoughts for Young Ladies, you can find it on Amazon. Um, you know, the backstory, and, and I think I might have mentioned this in our first episode, but I wrote it as a way to uh, encourage young women in their faithfulness. Um, I handed out for a number of years the books Thoughts for Young Men's and Thoughts for Young Men by J.C. Ryle. And so kind of as an homage to to him, uh, stole his title. Hope you hope he doesn't mind sitting up in heaven. I'm sure he's uh, forgiving me for that. Uh, but yeah, if you're, if you're looking for a way to, in, to encourage, um, middle young teens in your life, uh, this would be a, I believe I th it would be a, a great way to do that. So I enjoyed it. I'll, uh, I'll drop a link to it down just so that uh, anybody Thanks. can find it on, on Amazon. So uh, a broad framework of how to have a healthy teaching ministry. If you're still watching this, if you got value out of this video, click the thumbs up button. And uh, consider letting us know what you think down in the comments. Do you think there's anything that we left out? Do you think there's anything that you would state differently? And uh, until next time, get equipped, obey your king, and glorify your God.